Before we get into the word, I just want to say again, thank you for praying for us in Japan. And it seems like throughout the year we get messages and uh, comments online and just people saying that we're praying for you and that we love you. And I can say as a missionary, by far the most challenging thing in talking to other missionaries also is just loneliness and not having that same camaraderie that we have in the church tonight, not being able to just shake someone's hand that we've uh, been around in our church family. So when you pray for us, that, that really, and communicate, that really, really means a lot. And Japan is a country where less than 1% are Christian. There's so few Christians there. So you may wonder, why is the Sayre family over there? Why aren't they here with us? Um, maybe in the future God will, will have that, but for now God has us in Japan, in this country that has so few Christians. So pray for us as we teach English in the church and share the gospel with so many who have never heard it. And even this last year, as it was kind of recovering from COVID, we had new people come to the church and new people that we were able to share the gospel with for the first time. So please pray with us that the seeds that are planted would just begin to bear fruit and that they would be able to just grow and that a harvest, even in a difficult field like Japan, would start to, to bear fruit. So thank you for, for keeping us in your prayers. So this is Easter week or Holy Week for us Christians, also known as Resurrection Week. And for us as Christians, this is really kind of a holiday season. This is a, a time to reflect on the death and resurrection of Jesus and, and our Savior's victory on the cross. And for thousands of years for the church, this has been a time of celebration, a time where we've looked back and looked at the victory of Jesus that took place during that week. But sometimes when we hear this story, we can become a little bit cold or callous to it, and it's hard to personalize it for ourselves. So I want to challenge us tonight, if we can, to make it personal, to apply the cross to our life, and not just to think of it as some tradition or something that happened a long time ago that maybe offers some help for our life today, but it's something that affects our daily life. And Easter is a great time to get together with family. We have Easter dinners. We have Easter egg hunts, some of us. But don't let that tradition disguise or veil what it's really about. And, and let's not let Easter pass this year without seriously considering the cross and the work that he has done for us. And, you know, we've got kids in here tonight. I'm sure most of us have taught them that Easter is not about the Easter bunny. Hopefully you guys know that the Easter bunny is not real. I don't know if we're uh, bursting any bubbles tonight, but it's, that's not what Easter's about. It's not about chocolate bunnies. It's not about Easter egg hunts. It's not about even the beautiful spring colors. It's about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this week is a good time to evaluate our relationship with Jesus. Have we submitted to him as king? Is he king over our heart privately, or does it affect the other areas of our life also? Is there an area where maybe we're keeping him at a distance, we're keeping him in a corner so that we can have 
our own dominion and our own reign in whatever area of life it might be. So tonight for Palm Sunday, we're going to look again at the Sunday or the week before Easter. And we're going to be looking at this in the Gospel of Mark. And so we're looking at a different account from what we looked at this morning. And this is one of the few Bible stories in the Gospels that is clearly listed in all four Gospels. So I think it's good to look at it again, to reflect on it. And of course, in this story, like we talked about a little bit this morning, we see a celebration of Jesus. And this is the kind of the coronation of Jesus as King and as Messiah. And tonight, I want to ask you, what is your response to Jesus? Is he welcome in your home? Is he welcome in your life? Or are there times when we've made him our, our Lord and Savior, but maybe there's areas of our life where he doesn't have dominion, he doesn't have reign? Maybe it's our entertainment life. Maybe it's in the way we dress. Maybe it's in the way that we treat our family. We've made ourselves king instead of Jesus. So on Palm Sunday in this story, and we're going to look at Mark 11 in just a few minutes, there were many people worshiping Jesus. Some of them may have been true worshipers of Jesus. They may have been disciples who were following him, and they were prepared for this coronation that Jesus was preparing. But most of them, in a few days later, would be saying, crucify him, crucify him. The same ones that were saying, Hosanna would be saying, crucify him. So in this story, we see maybe some true disciples and a lot of false disciples. And in looking at this story, we can look at our own life. Are we a true disciple of Jesus or are we pretending? Are we a false disciple? So we're going to look at Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And that's just a bunch of ones. So that's really easy to remember if you want to read this with your kids or your grandkids later. So we're, we're going to look at Jesus' triumphal entry and what it means for our personal life, what it means for our family, and what it means also for the world. So Mark 11, 1 through 11, if you have your Bibles. We're going to be flipping over to several passages, so if you have your Bible, that's going to be helpful tonight. So Mark 11, 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and I, and I will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt and tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colts? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, 
As it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, one of the first things that you'll probably notice is this is not Jesus' first entrance into Jerusalem. He had been to Jerusalem many times throughout his ministry. So, what was different about this time? Why the coronation? Why the celebration now? Well, what's different is this is the week of the crucifixion. This is the week that has been ordained by God since the foundation of the world. And this is the week on which all of history hinges. But the crowd doesn't know that. Jesus knows that. The crowd doesn't know that. Because, of course, Jesus, he knows everything, right? He knows how many hairs are on our head, and he knows exactly what's going to unfold and take place. So one of the things that is very obvious and that we talked a little bit about this morning is that God has a divine plan. And the timing of Jesus' death wasn't random. He didn't die on Good Friday because that's when the Pharisees got their plan together and they stopped twiddling their thumbs and that's finally when they were able to do it. Nobody took Jesus' life. He gave his life. And we see at the beginning of this week that the entire week is orchestrated by God. And we know all of history is orchestrated by God, but especially this week. And we also see in that that this was not a week of defense by Jesus, but this was a week of offense. This is the triumphal entry. This is not the surrendering entry where Jesus goes to Jerusalem to give himself to the Pharisees to die. No, this is the parade of a victor. And for much of Jesus' ministry, he was despised. He was rejected, but for this short time, we see this amazing parade through the streets of Jerusalem, celebrating him for who he truly is as the king of kings, even if in the middle of it there were some false understandings and conceptions of what it meant of why Jesus was there. So at the beginning of the passage that we just read, we see that he sent two of his disciples to get a colt or a donkey so that he could ride it and also to find a donkey on which nobody had ever sat. Now, that's kind of a big ask. I think getting a donkey would be pretty hard, but finding a donkey in Jerusalem, there's no cars there, there's no bikes, on which nobody had ever sat. But we see, again, in this, the omniscience of Jesus. He knew what was there. He knew who had it. He knew what their response would be when he asked for it. So Jesus, he knows everything. We see the divinity of Christ on earth. And of course, we know as regular people that this is not what people are like. We don't know everything. And as time goes on, as we get older, it seems like we don't know anything. And all we have to do is look back to 2020. And we had all of these... uh, people saying that we've got 2020 vision for 2020. Well, we, <laughs> we all lived through 2020, and that was probably the most unclear, confusing, weird year in the history of the world. So we are not like Jesus. Jesus is omniscient, and in this small way, even with the donkey, we can see 
the divinity of Jesus. This is a special king. It's a different king. It's different than all the prophets and the kings who had come before him. And one of the reasons that Jesus had sent his two disciples to find this donkey is because of the prophecy in the book of Zechariah. And it says in Zechariah 9, 9, I'll read it for you quickly. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So we know in many ways throughout his life, Jesus fulfilled prophecies like this. So those who studied the Old Testament, the Jewish people should recognize who he was when he came. But the crowd welcomed him as a king, but not as a savior. They wanted freedom from Rome, but not from their sins. They were blind to their spiritual needs. All they cared about was their current physical condition. And for us here tonight looking at our lives, we might think, what are my biggest needs? My biggest needs are, are my health, my finances, my uh, having a little bit of a better job, helping our kids to get established and to do well. But believe it or not, those things, while important, are not our greatest need. Our greatest need is spiritual. Our greatest need is a Savior. And, and for those in Jerusalem who saw the king and saw this parade, they were left with no excuse. The king has come, and the fulfillment of God's plan has come to pass. The Savior has come. But in looking at this story, whether there were a few true disciples here or whether most of them were just caught up in the fervor of the crowd, one thing we know is that most of them, all of them, would not have believed that just a few days later, this coronation would turn into a death scene. They didn't understand what was happening. They didn't understand who Jesus was, what his mission was, and what he had come to do. So from this passage, I think there's three areas or things that we can kind of glean from, some practical applications to look at tonight to make sure that we are a true worshiper of Jesus, including me, all of us tonight. It's important that we welcome him into our lives. So the first area, let's look at how he's the king of our personal life, the king of our personal life. In Mark eleven nine, 9, again, it says, and those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We talked about this morning, Hosanna means save me. Save me. Now these people, they thought they understood Jesus. They thought they understood the gospel, but they didn't. They thought that the emperor, that was their issue. If they could just get rid of him, then everything would be okay. They were blind to their own sin and depravity, especially the religious leaders. They couldn't even see what was wrong or what was the issue in their life. And, and for us today, too, all of us, we have fallen short. But there are times where we blind ourselves to our sin, where we don't understand the depths of our sin. But all of us must cry out personally, Hosanna, save me. So is the cross at the center of your 
life tonight. Whether you've come for 40 years or for four years or for four months, is the cross truly at the center of your life? Or has it just become a piece of jewelry? Has it just become an image on the side of a church building? Has the cross become real to you? Because during this week, there's no better time to reflect on the death, the resurrection of Jesus. And all of us, we must realize our sin and call out to Jesus. Because in this story, we're going to see that he goes into the temple shortly after this and calls out the Pharisees because they were blind to their sin. There's a passage in, in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. And it, it's going to encourage us to examine our life, to look at our life, and to submit every area of our life to Jesus. So Hebrews 3, 12 through 14. It says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So sin, it deceives us. It puts a, a spell on us, on us, on our hearts, on our lives. And the crowd, they were so excited about Jesus. They had confidence in Jesus. They, they were so happy that Jesus had come to save them. But they quickly lost that confidence and that understanding of who he was. It says in James 1.22, a verse we all know, James 1.22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I think self-deception is probably the biggest challenge that we have as Christians, not to think that we're more righteous than we are, not to think that we're better than we are, but to really understand our sin and to understand what Jesus has done and the work that he has done for us on the cross. Sometimes we don't do his word because we love our sin more than we love Jesus. And we were happy to throw a coronation party for him at the beginning, but we quickly lost, or maybe over time we lost that confidence in who he is. And we have to realize again that he is a conquering king and he directs every area of our life. We don't just want to hear the word and come to church and hear it, but we want to also be doers. It says in Jeremiah, in the King James Version, a verse we know, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So none of us in here can say that we understand fully our sin or say that we completely understand uh, all the areas of our life that need to be touched. Uh, this verse was read by our founder, Leonard Coote, and it changed him from an atheist to a, a radical missionary to Japan. So God can take anyone. He can take our heart of stone. Maybe it's gotten cold through the years, and he can turn it into a heart of flesh. You know, yesterday was April, I think it was yesterday, April Fool's Day, and I don't know if you guys played any jokes. I, I, <laughs> maybe Brother Roger did. Um, but there's a verse that we love to quote on April Fool's Day. Psalm 14, 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
We might think that this is a verse for atheists, but how many of us live our life sometimes as if there is no God, that we can do whatever we want, that there's no consequences for our actions, that God is somewhere off there in space, we're here in San Antonio, and we are almost the king of our little kingdom, and we act sometimes as if we're an atheist in our heart. But we are no longer our own. We have a conquering king who has come, and he has directed us how to live our lives. You know, for younger people, sometimes what we always ask, and maybe for older people too, is what is God's will for my life? Do you guys ever think about that? What is God's will for my life? What does he want me to do and spend my time on? What can I do to help the church grow? What ministry can I start? What country can I go to? What big thing can I do for God? And God may call you to do big things, but there is one thing that he's calling us for sure to do. It's found in 1 Thessalonians 4 through 3. You don't need to look it up, but I'm just going to read the first part of it for you. It says, for this is the will of God. Don't you love when it's clear like that, just written in the sky? For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So sanctification is the process we know of becoming more and more like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, that hopefully in five years, in 10 years, in 50 years, that we're more like Jesus than we are today. And as believers, we all have new life in Jesus. Our heart has been changed. We have salvation. But as part of this new life, he has also called us to a new and different way of living. And some people, they say, I love Jesus. I just love Jesus. But I don't like these other parts of the Bible that make me a little bit uncomfortable. I don't like this verse. I don't like some of the Old Testament. But God, Jesus doesn't leave us that option. If we want to live the same as the world, we are rejecting God. We, we cannot have it our way and God have it his way. It's either God's way or our way. Uh, in America, we like to go to Whataburger, we like to go to Las Palapas, and we like to order, and we like to customize our order. If it has mayonnaise on it, of course, uh, any normal person who doesn't like mayonnaise is going to say, please don't put the mayonnaise on my hamburger. And that's totally normal, normal in our culture. But in Japan, if you customize your food, they'll just look at you like you're from outer space. Because no one customizes anything there. They just do what everyone else does. Why would, I, why would I change my order? If McDonald's designed it this way, I'm sure that's the best way to eat it. But in America, we like to do things our way. There's a theologian, uh, R.J. Rush Dooney, who said, the goal of sanctification is to bring all things under the authority of Jesus Christ, the King of creation. God made the world, not us, so he can tell us how it works and how it functions. Amen. And if we have not made him the Lord of our life, we may find ourselves like this crowd who once shouted, save me, but then turned their backs on Jesus. 
And we know that, that living holy doesn't save us. But it's a sign that we have been truly changed and truly saved. And we know that Jesus is purifying his church, his people. As the church, we're called to be a light, a people that are set apart like the nation of Israel was supposed to be. So the challenge to all of us tonight is, have you made Jesus your personal Lord, King, and Savior? Has the blood been applied to the doorpost personally of your heart tonight? Is he the true King of your life? The next area to look at just briefly is we want to welcome him into our life, not just in our personal life, the king of our personal life, but the king of our family. And because Jesus came, it changes the way that we raise our family, the way that we teach our family. And it's our responsibility as fathers, as mothers, to teach them, to instruct them. It's good that we're learning, that we're growing, that we're listening to worship music and we're reading the Bible. But sometimes, and this has happened with me, we can leave our kids behind and even our wife behind, but we want to bring them along with us. It's not just our personal walk that matters, but the generations that are coming after us. Are we pointing them to Christ? Are we directing them to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Is our goal to make sure that our kids are rich and successful and fat and happy or is it our goal to make sure that they grow up to uh, follow Jesus with all of their heart on their own? And we want all of them to grow up and to cry out, Hosanna, save me. And I think the goal of every person in this room and every person in San Antonio tonight is to have a happy home, to have a home where people are happy, where kids are happy, but the question is, how do we reach that? How, how do we attain that? I think a lot of people in the world might say that the key to happiness is something like Disneyland or a vacation or uh, going on a cruise, something like that. Maybe a good college education, maybe getting firmly established and rooted in the economic system of this world. Maybe just a little bit more, more money will make them happy. Maybe just a little bit of a better job. But we won't have peace or happiness until Christ is the head of our home. So tonight I want to challenge all of us, is Christ really the head of our home? My, my grandfather just passed away and he had five kids. And all five of his kids, through no pressure of his own, he didn't tell them to do this, but all five of his kids became missionaries or pastors. But he was the first generation Christian for his family. His dad was a drunk, didn't take him to church, um, really did not have a good early childhood. But he decided that for him and his family, that he was going to raise his family in church and that he was going to create a new legacy for his family. And you may be thinking here tonight that you didn't come from the best home, you didn't have the best parents, and maybe your life up to this point has kind of been a wreck a little bit. Um, but all of us at some point in our family history has had that person who had to make a decision that as for me and my house, that we are going to serve the Lord. So you never know what impact you may be having on future generations. You know, home is a place where we can 
lead our children in reading the Bible, where we can lead them in prayer, in spiritual disciplines, in family worship. There's a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, Deuteronomy 6, 7, and it says, you shall teach them, and he's talking about the law and applying it in your home. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So this is really our number one responsibility as parents, as grandparents, that we are investing in our kids and teaching them everywhere we go. There's uh, another famous theologian, R.C. Sproul. He had a famous saying that kind of helped to keep him focused, and it was, right now counts forever. And your kids, your grandkids, they're only going to be five once. They're only going to be eight once. They're only going to be going through this grade in school one time. Your home matters. Your weekends matter. Your drive to school matters. All the time that we get with our kids, if we are not filling in the blanks, then the world will do that for them. They're more than happy to step up if we're not willing to. But our kids, they're growing up before our eyes. So tonight, even something as simple as a Sunday night service, tonight matters in eternity. The king has come. He came during this Easter week. He's returning again. And you don't know what the next season of your life is going to be. And you want to make sure that you're making him the foundation of your family. And we know what it's like to be busy. We know what it's like to get home late from work. We know that there's a lot of things going on. And there's times where a week goes by and we're not able to open the Bible together as a family. But just want to encourage us tonight to make that sacrifice, to let the kids stay up a little bit late, to take that time to invest in them so that you can begin to start a new story, a new chapter, a new legacy for you and your family. So don't let this Easter pass by and just be about Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies and all the fun things that, that, that we enjoy to celebrate Jesus, but let's again make him the king of our family also. And we see in this passage back to Mark 11 that this kingdom that uh, Jesus is being coronated, he's the king, is being established. And it's starting in Jerusalem, it's starting in Israel, and it's going to begin to spread to all the nations. So the third way that we can kind of look at Jesus as welcoming him tonight is welcoming him as the king of the nations. In Mark 11, 8 through 10, once again, it says, verses 8 through 10 of chapter 11, And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So what a beautiful picture with the palm branches waving and people worshiping the triumphant king. But now, also, because of the cross, because of what happened this week, because of the events that took place, Jesus, in dying on the cross, broke the chains of death, hell, and the grave. And he is now the conquering king, and he is conquering the nations. 
And we see in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, this is one of the last verses we're going to look at tonight, um, Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Revelation 7, 9 through 12. And we see in this passage a clearer picture of what this global kingdom begins to look like. And in this passage we're about to read, it also talks about the palm branches and using that symbol again to uh, worship him in this heavenly setting. And it's almost an echo or a repeat of Jesus's triumphant entry that we see in the Gospels. So Revelation 7, 9 through 12, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around and the, and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So there's a multitude that no person can number from every tribe, from every tongue, from every country, and they are coming to acknowledge Jesus as the true and rightful king. And this time, Jesus is no longer sitting on a donkey, but he's sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father. And, and in this passage also, the theme is salvation. That's their cry, that salvation has now come. And it's really the fulfillment of the cry in this passage of Hosanna, save me, save me. And they begin to worship that salvation has come. And some of these people on Palm Sunday, they might not have known what they needed saved from, but they knew that something wasn't right, and they called out to God to save them. And salvation, because of the cross and because of what Jesus did, is now possible. He is now victorious. And it says in Philippians, God has highly exalted him, whereas the time he came as a as a humble king on a donkey in a, in a seemingly humble context, now he is the conquering king coming to conquer the nations, to conquer minds, to conquer hearts. And he wants your heart. He wants your family. And also, he wants all of the nations. And looking at this story and some of the things that the people were desiring, they were desiring Jesus to bless them, to provide a new country for them to live in, for freedom, for prosperity. But Jesus is more than just the things we want, like Pastor Matt talked about this morning. He's the king of kings who died on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven. And that's the message that this crowd had trouble understanding. And I think it's, it's the message that we need to understand clearly tonight that Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and because he is the king, we have a new way and a different way of living. Just to close out the passage, let's, let's go ahead and read verse 11 of that passage. 
Mark 11, 11, and it says, and he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. It's just interesting how it closes out talking about the temple because the temple was the center of Jewish life. This is where the Holy of Holies was. This is where the sacrifices were made for the forgiveness of sins. And after Jesus makes the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple and clears out the temple and calls out the religious leader. And just a few short years later, less than a generation later, the temple is going to be destroyed and torn down brick by brick with not one stone left upon another because Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple. Through Jesus, through his victory, he made a way for us to have a relationship with God. We no longer have to go into the Holy of Holies. We no longer have to go and offer a a goat or a bull or a ram or a dove for our sins. But Jesus made a way that we could experience forgiveness and salvation. And we know that God's desire throughout uh, the history of his people, throughout the nation of Israel, is to be with his people, to live with them. And because Jesus died on the cross, he broke the barrier between man and God, and we can now have a relationship with God and even be a friend of God, which is really hard even to comprehend or to think about. Aren't you thankful that tonight we don't need a physical building, that we don't have to go to Jerusalem, to the temple, that his presence is with us wherever we go. So the king has come. He's conquered on the cross. And and we looked at tonight again, just to recap, that he is, if we've called on him and made him the Lord of our life, he is the king of our life, and he has directed us how we are to live. And we want to make sure tonight that we are true disciples of Jesus, that the cross, it's not a piece of jewelry, but it's the way that we have salvation through Jesus Christ. And tonight is the best night, once again, to commit to making him your Lord and King, that he is the only one who can direct your life, that our sinful desires Passions, we can't keep separated from him, but all of those areas must be submitted to the cross. And he's the king of our family. It's not entertainment, it's not Disneyland that is going to be what your family needs, but it's Jesus. It's what he did on the cross. And the only way to bring fulfillment and joy and happiness to your family is to point the way and lead the way to Jesus. And uh, thankfully, Jesus is the ruler. He is the king of the nations. And what started on Palm Sunday will continue to grow and to spread through the church, through the Great Commission, until finally all things have been put under his feet. And he is the ruling and conquering king of all nations. And whether willingly or unwillingly, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and submit and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. So what began to happen during this best week of all weeks is continuing to happen to this day. 
And I just want to encourage us that you take advantage of the cross this week, that you would say, Hosanna. Not, not that he would save you for giving you better finances or health, even though we need those things and we can ask him for those things, but that we would call out for salvation to make him the king of our lives because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Let's pray and then I'll hand it over to, to Pastor Matt. Lord Jesus, we thank you for speaking to us through your word tonight, and we thank you for helping us to understand better who you are and what you came to do. And, and we acknowledge tonight that you are king. We make you the king of our lives, the king of our family, and you're the king of every, every part of this world. And there's nothing that we can keep separated from you. So tonight we submit to you, we give our lives to you today. Help us to lead our family. Help us to spread the good news of what you did on the cross to the world around us. And we pray that we would take time this week to reflect on what you have done in our lives and what you're going to continue to do. We praise you and worship you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.